All right. Hello, everyone. Happy Thursday. Welcome to another episode of Crypto with English. I'd like to warmly welcome to you all a um, very special guest and good friend of mine, Abdul Osman. He's the CEO of Goracle. And today we're going to focus on what his project entails. And also, we're going to get into the weeds and nuances of the significance and the overall importance of oracles. You know, often, you know, for people in this space, when you hear about blockchain, decentralized technology, naturally, nobody thinks that equation includes a third party or some sort of middle broker or, or some sort of outside party. However, as we're moving towards this Web3 future, there are some practical realities that we're going to have to integrate in order to, to reach the various successes that will hit along the way towards mass adoption. So, Abdul, thank you very much for coming on to the show today. And by the way, it's awesome seeing you again since Berlin as well. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, love your show. Love the caliber of, of people and the diversity of people you bring on. Uh, very happy to be here. And yeah, good to see you again. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And, you know, and you're definitely uh, what I consider a, a high caliber uh, innovator and expert in this space. And, you know, I absolutely loved your presentation um, at the Blockchain Oracle Summit as well. So it's an absolute treat for me and also for the audience to have you on today. Yeah, very excited to be here. Uh, just talk about oracles. Let's go. So uh, talk about Goracle. Um, what, how did it come about? What problems do you and your team seek to resolve? And uh, what are some of the, you know, you could say milestones you and your team hope to accomplish, you know, within the next six months? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Goracle, decentralized blockchain Oracle. Um, came about due to a very specific need. We were working on a sports uh, application that was supposed to be built on chain, uh, but we needed data to kind of make things happen on chain. Uh, and so yeah. to get that data, we had to get it from an off-chain source. Uh, but if you're trying to make a decentralized application and you're controlling where the data comes in from, suddenly it's not decentralized anymore. You control that, that source and you can, you know, people are going to have to trust you never to, to mess with the scores or something like that. Um, so we went about looking for a good decentralized Oracle for our use case, uh, and we're just not able to find one that uh, kind of had high quality, uh, a high throughput data. And so we decided to just build our own. Very nice. And, uh, you know, talk about, if you can, or I guess to the extent that, you know, you're comfortable with, talk about some of the underlying technology in you know crafting and you know architecting you know this uh, this application so to say. Yeah, so it's 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 quite interesting because you know the whole reason blockchain is so secure and and trustless, and this is something I talked about it at the summit, is because it's not because when we say trustless, the absence of trust is the trust is so distributed amongst thousands and millions of people. Right. that it's essentially becomes you don't have to trust a single person and, and, um, because you're trusting so many people. And so we tried to make sure we're designing something similar. It has to be trustless. You have to get that data on-chain trustless. And to do so, uh, we require a large number of nodes reaching consensus um, right. on that data. And so now it's, you don't have to trust a single source to get you the score of the Raptors game. You can just trust that thousands of people agree that it's correct. Uh, and, and generally, you know, that, that is secure enough for your use case. Got it. So as we all know, 
the decentralized nature of blockchain. It presents a lot of possibilities and a lot of solutions, in fact. However, it's not perfect. You know, one of the, I guess you could say, drawbacks is, is that historically it requires a lot of, you know, electrical output, you know, when I guess you could say performing a lot of these processes. So, you know, um, as great as blockchain is, you know, of course, like anything, there's drawbacks. You know, there, there, there might yeah. be some, you know, inherent disadvantages. So if you could explain to the audience, what do oracles add to blockchain to make it better or even make it closer to perfect? Yeah, so to use blockchains in real world applications. So think about insurance, decentralized insurance. Um, think about ticketing. You know, right now we go through Ticketmaster or StubHub. Uh, think about, you know, sports applications like betting. Think about, um, you know, decentralized finance for an exchange. For all of these, the goal is with decentralization is to start removing these middlemen that have mostly controlled uh, the economy in the past and, you know, not completely moving away from it, but giving people the ability to trade directly with each other, reduce costs, break down monopolies and increase innovation. The challenge with that is, is, you know, insurance, you can't insure something because weather doesn't happen on the blockchain, right? right. Um, you can't play basketball on the blockchain. You can't, uh, you know, buying tickets, it's, it's how do you get that information and how do you transact? with the real world in a decentralized manner. So really the drawback of, of blockchain is it has to be a closed environment that cannot know about the outside world to be so secure. Uh, and that's the reason why oracles are really important to mimic that security and introduce outside world without introducing any vulnerability. Because as you know, you know the weakest point uh, in a chain, or what is it, the weakest link a chain is as good as its weakest link. Right, yeah. Right? That's right. Yeah, that's a quote. Yeah, chain is yeah, only as good yeah. as its weakest link. As its yeah. weakest link. So the goal of the blockchain is, is, or the oracle is, to be a strong link, uh, as strong as the rest of the blockchain that it supports. Got it. And is there a big difference between, let's say, Web 2 oracles and Web 3 oracles? Because maybe, maybe the messaging needs to be tailored, you know, a little bit. Because I think a lot of times when people think of, you know, Web 2, you think of essentially almost like a custodian that kind of has access and control to your information, your actions, your transactions and whatnot. Um, could you explain, you know, Web 3 oracles and maybe how they're different and how maybe some of those traditional risks just aren't there? Yeah, in the traditional world, oracles and the platform and everything was with the organization that you're dealing with. Uh, you know, they were the judge, jury, and execution, right? to use an example, right? <laughs> good way of putting it, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there are times where, you know, uh, corporations were not treating people fairly. There are corporations that do treat people fairly. Uh, and ultimately, you know, whatever happens, the it's, it's up to that organization to, to either make sure things go right for you or something doesn't to listen to your needs uh, and to respond to that. Um, and so the whole decentralized movement came about because of, uh, you know, these, I think it was Bitcoin, Bitcoin was the, the first one uh, to solve yeah. the problem of money being um, controlled by central agencies. Uh, and the whole point of these central agencies is they sometimes tend to create these monopolies or, or oligar oligopolies. Um, and, and the problem really here is how do we get away from that and, and transact with each other where it makes sense to. 
Um, and so where it makes sense to transact with each other, how do we do it without having to trust each other in a sense? Right. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, if I'm using a cryptocurrency platform, let's say like an exchange, let's say a decentralized exchange where I can, you know, either buy and sell crypto tokens directly from other people, or I could buy it uh, almost akin to one would when they're putting in a like a buy or a sell order in the stock market, something like that. So, for instance, if there was, let's say, a blockchain oracle that's in that system to help with those transactions, that oracle is essentially only like a it's almost like it's almost it's only like an elevator. It's not, you know, let's say the. Uh, the, the bellhop who's, you know, controlling it, or it's not like the, uh, you know, the, the, you could say the, uh, the race car driver, you know, in, in control of the car. It, it seems like, would it be something that it's just, the Web3 Oracle is just something that completes a very narrow or like single, singular action, so to say. Yeah, yeah, I think your elevator example is a good one. You want to be able to know, okay, I need something from, you know, the first floor all the way up here. Uh, and I just, I need it to be extremely predictable. Uh, and an elevator, you know what you're gonna get, you push the button, it's gonna come there, right? Um, and you just need to know that it cannot deviate from those rules. If I press the fifth floor, I won't end up in the next right. building, right? Um, and so that's that's really the goal of, of, of oracles, is just to get the data from point A to point B uh, and be predictable and do so predictably uh, without kind of any any sort of surprises or any maliciousness, especially being introduced, uh, when you can depend on that happening, you can exactly transact peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, you can build these applications that are generally controlled by uh, an organization. So let's say I wanted insurance. I could be insured by something by thousands of people, right, instead of a single person. And those thousands of people split the profits, things like that. Um, and so that thing that's insured depends on real world information. So there's a flood that happened. They just need to know, did a flood happen and did it destroy the, these properties? It's a yes or no thing. Um, and as long as that data, whether the flood happened or whether it's been a drought, can be put on chain for the insurance application to be able to do what it needs to do to reach a decision uh, once somebody has claimed it, uh, that's, that's really what matters here. Right. So would it be fair to say to use another analogy? And you know, I sometimes like using analogies. Is like a blockchain Web3 Oracle more like a thermometer? So the uh, you know the you know the red liquid will uh, the mercury will go in the direction of the temperature. It's you know, and maybe a Web2 Oracle is more like somebody controlling the weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Um, you know, Web3 just, uh, Oracle just really reflects the reality of, of what's happening. Uh, in, in a sense, the Web2, you know, it's it's also kind of, it's maybe not, maybe the better example I would use is they're controlling the thermometer itself, right? Right, right. The thing going That's up and down. That's probably a better, phone. yeah, better comparison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they set it to where they think it is or where it should be, and you're, you're trusting them to do that. And if there's any dispute, um, it's just between you and, and that Web2 part. Got it. 
So talk about maybe, um, you know, some of the uh, early stages. Let's say, you know, putting together the team, putting together the MVP, pitching the idea. Talk about some of those processes and stories and, you know, what were those experiences like? Because a lot of a lot of aspiring tech entrepreneurs also watch the show. So I feel, um, and myself included, a lot of people get a lot, you know, from those type of, you could say, anecdotes and, and stories. Yeah, it's it's definitely trickly in the early days. Blockchain developers are hard to come by. It's it's a recent de- development. Smart contract developers are 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 not that common as as common as other programming languages. Right. And so, really, one, it's about kind of building something that motivates some of the best people in their field to jump on board, and doing a lot of trial and error and and failing really failing fast at the beginning to to kind of see the best way to do it and, and once you, you you do that enough at the beginning uh, and not just not getting frustrated and just moving very quickly and, and iterating quickly uh and i think the biggest thing is being able to inspire um, people about what you're building and no matter what you're building people are inspired by it. it's just finding those people which i yeah. think is a lot easier now with the world being comfortable online uh, right. than it was maybe in 2019 for obvious reasons right right and um Talk about, you know, some of the programming headaches or obstacles in, let's say, you know, building an ecosystem and then you're creating a blockchain oracle on top of that, you know, to, you know, facilitate and, you know, move all these, you know, different pieces around. Yeah, yeah, it's the programming part's definitely interesting. It's, you know, a lot of these programming languages people are working with are much less than a decade old. Uh, right, and so you're working with traditional code. You're working with uh, smart contract code, um, and so a lot of people sometimes you'll find are learning on the fly, uh, and it's 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 not necessarily a bad thing. People with with the knowledge of how applications are structured can learn on the fly, uh, as as long as they can, you know they're 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 good at what they've done. They've architected uh, applications before. Um, and it's it's definitely a new way of thinking about it. You're you're much more limited in what you can do. So traditional programming, you can do almost anything. But in blockchain programming, there's only like ten or fifteen actions you can do. So imagine you're trying to build like a Lego toy castle, and instead of having hundreds of different pieces, you only have sixteen to build what uh, those those amazing structures you see like a Lego land. Um, right. So so you really have to get creative with how to structure it. Um, yeah. Right. And I, and I guess maybe like a, like a blockchain castle, like a blockchain Lego castle, you know, if you, uh, if you attached, let's say the wrong Lego or the wrong door, probably can't change it. You kind of almost build on top or around it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's very hard to change once it goes live. Uh, cause it's public and you know, it's you say, Hey, there's a bug here. You can't tell anybody until you fix it and hope that no one exploits it. While it's, whereas in traditional Web 2, you take it down overnight, fix it, and put it back up. Uh, in, in Web 3, it's, it's out there. Uh, and, and you know anybody can exploit it. And even if you do find a fix, you just, it takes weeks sometimes to, to put a fix in. Wow. Yeah, and, and that definitely makes, a, definitely makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I was going to ask too, you know, especially for somebody who's, you know, um, you know, very experienced uh, as a programmer and, you know, developing like applications. 
how many times do you have to do or how many tests or what's the process of testing, you know, before, you know, launching, let's say the product on like the mainnet. So like, you know, if, if a blockchain, you know, programmer, developer, if you will, is creating, they're putting in the code and whatnot, how many times are they testing that before they really go to launch and, you know, release it to the world? Yeah, ideally, you've you've done more testing than programming. You've done more testing than anything in the organization. Uh, and, and for a Web3 organization, it's, it's not really heard of launching without having external auditors. And right. sometimes you see projects with two or three auditors. Consider auditors are expensive, tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, and Web3 auditors can charge these amounts because uh, unlike a Web2 application, your code may be public, your code might be open source. Uh, you, you know, anybody can look in and see what your code is doing. So you need third parties, you need auditors to verify, hey, this actually does what it says it does. There's no vulnerabilities. We put right. our stamp and approval and it still doesn't guarantee anything. There's still yeah. bugs on after auditing, um, but your applications are significantly less trusted if they don't go through these expensive audit processes. So just even doing your own testing is not good enough. Um, you got to go through through audits in this space, right? And that makes uh, and, that, and that makes perfect sense as well. So I guess in theory, um, and I don't know if it's ever been maybe conceptualized like this, but if somebody is let's say a terrible programmer, people can find that out much easier than let's say years before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, and. People will see it. People will see it, and it will get you know it will get attacked. If there's if there's money to be made, um, right. there are some of the brightest, smartest, most talented hackers in the blockchain. You know some of the stuff they do, uh, Ethereum and, and Mempool and sniffing transactions and even profiting right. off of other people's transactions. Um, it's it's incredibly talented. So if there's ten dollars to be made chances are you will be exploited. Wow. Yeah, and that, and that definitely makes makes a lot of sense. You know, we're definitely, we're certainly living in a, in a new and exciting times. But um, just to change uh, subject a little bit, let's talk about hackathons. Hackathons are a very, very good opportunity for, you know, ambitious, passionate teams to, you know, showcase their projects in front of large, large audiences and perhaps also, you know, win money prizes. So can you talk about um, your experience, you know, winning a hackathon and then going ahead and launching, you know, uh, Goracle? I think a lot of times when people, you know, when people win hackathons, you know, it's a very, very special, significant uh, accomplishment. And you're not, you're never going up against people who are mediocre. You know, I've, um, you know, I have uh, experience at these hackathons and met participants and have also competed on behalf of another startup as well. These are very, very strong, competent, talented people. So to win one of those, I have nothing but the utmost respect for players who do so. So uh, talk about that. Yeah, yeah, the Encode Club, shout out to Encode. Uh, they got these great hackathons, eight weeks long, which really allows teams to focus and build something useful. Yeah. Hackathon, a lot of hackathons are two to three day events. Um, where you really put something together, uh, and and it's more about getting your vision across the uh, across the finish line, whereas in code 
you know, they had the eight week hackathon and it's about building something that works. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, we were able to really focus on, on what we we're trying to build, make it work, make it look good. Um, hackathons are probably one of the best tools, not, not just to learn, but to also network and connect with like-minded developers building in your space. Uh, and a lot of times you find the, the developers that you meet there, uh, you become friends for life and work, go on to work on different projects. Uh, so really it's, it's, more, it's much more than building something. Um, yeah. It's about that connection and, and building that network of uh, and building something that lasts. And then the, the the pressure definitely there were there were nights I didn't sleep. There were nights you start to question what you're doing. Um, there's it's, it's a lot. Even eight weeks long was is a short time to build an application. Uh, and so highly recommend hackathons um, as as a way to get up, get get exposure as well because. Interestingly, there's a lot of eyeballs watching these these hackathons. They, they they're they're very well watched. You know, this a lot of them happen at conferences and, and they're judged. I know the East one happens so many different places. Algrand has many different uh, hackathons throughout the world, and and there's just a lot of eyeballs on on these top tier projects that are coming out of there. So highly recommend it. Right, right. And uh, you know, speaking of Algorand, when you launched Gorkle. You launched that using the Algorand blockchain. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. So uh, how did you and the team come to, let's say, using and sticking with, with uh, Algorand? You know, there's so many out there. You know, many projects are built on, you know, Ethereum and now more and more so on, you know, things like Solana or Nier or Matic, um, you know, or Polkadot. What makes uh, Algorand very particular and special? Yeah, we looked at quite a large number of blockchains when we were building the sports application I mentioned. And if you know about sports data, the amount of data generated from a single event is, is a lot. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. And so now you have many different sports. Each sports has many different leagues. Each league has hundreds of matches. So we're talking yeah, megabytes per match. We're talking gigabytes of data. So we really needed a blockchain that can handle high throughput of data. We needed okay. a blockchain that was quick. Blocks were being minted every few seconds. Um, and, and we needed to have no downtime. We needed it to be excellent. But we also needed uh, kind of mainstream support, if I might say. So having a USDC, for example, a stable coin that's well-trusted like Circle, was also yep. extremely important. Um, and so Algorand was pretty much the only one that checked off all those boxes for us. Um, and so we, we decided to fully focus and go all in on Algorand. Got it. And, you know, obviously the speed, the throughput, the, uh, you know, the rate in which you can facilitate a transaction, you know, how fast, how efficiently is very, very important. So how would you compare Algorand to, let's say, Ethereum when it comes to the amount of power that's used? Yeah, so you know the way I put it, it's Ethereum versus everything else, right? Um, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. Some people say it's one versus another. They try to compare two layer twos, but ultimately, Ethereum is the first mover, and everybody's using Ethereum. Um, and and the other chains are are really trying to get as much market share from Ethereum. Uh, right. Ethereum actually, they're moving to proof of stake now, uh, so they've they're gonna reduce their power output by 99.5% if all that goes well. So so great job 
a highly commended team. Vitalik, you know, the prince. If Satoshi is the king, Vitalik is the is the prince of it, of, of uh, blockchain. Um, and so, yeah, these 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 improvements are going to really reduce the the power. It's not going to help with the gas fees. It's still quite expensive, still congested. Right. Um, but it's a step in the right direction environmentally. Um, Algorand definitely has pra- practically no fees for each transaction, very little, tenth of a penny. Um, you know, extreme, much, much quicker. You know, I think less than four seconds is, is generally clocked at lately. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's I think, they, they both have their advantages. Um, but overall, I think, um, you know, Algorand's kind of got a lot going for it. No downtime, highly scalable. Right. Uh, but I'm really happy with Ethereum's move to proof of stake to reduce its environmental impact. Right, and and that is you know that's very important, and it is a you know primary concern, I guess you could say, really among the I guess you could say the overall view of the technology in space in the space. But also you know companies are also you know over time have become a lot more conscious of you know you know effects on the environment. So it's very promising to hear that uh, you know that Algorand really presents a lot of potential to making, you know, high caliber applications to do, you know, to do some of these things as, uh, you know, as well. And for, you know, aspiring, you know, programmers out there, you know, I often, you know, get this question from the viewership. It's like, oh, I, I really enjoy this space. I really want to, you know, develop applications. Where do I start? So if you can talk about your background, uh, you know, the programming languages, um, you know, your, your education in this subject matter, I think a lot of the, I think a decent amount of the viewership will also find that, you know, helpful as well. Because one of the questions is, I like this stuff. Where do I start? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a couple of ways. Sorry, I mean, I, I studied programming in, in computer science in school. Um, but, but even after, there was so much more learning. And, you know, there are people who studied computer science decades ago, right? They're going to have to continuously right. learn. And when I was going to school, this is early 2010s, there was no blockchain courses at that time, right? right. So, right. so, you know, having a good understanding, mostly we were doing a lot of Java um, and things like that. So having a good understanding with just system architecture, I think helps. Uh, I think a lot of people jump straight into programming, but I, I would always highly recommend um, learning more about the fundamentals. And the fundamentals are, you know, what makes a computer t- work in the first place right the zeros right. and the ones of the thing um, right. the lower once you really get the lower level how memory works how what are transistors and things like that um it builds this fundamental understanding uh, of computers and, and and turing machines what those are and, and you know uh, from there it's not uh, it's it's you can kind of start to teach yourself a lot if you're not going to school um and you know i, I like to use elon musk's example who taught himself how to use build spaceships from books. Uh, it, it sounds crazy, but really, I think books are are a huge resource and just yeah. really understanding them. And you know, it might it might take ten books to get the to get the point across, but I, I definitely think there's no competition um, as a learning resource when it comes to, uh, compared to books. Sure. So I guess you could say when um, when building a DAP. You know, um, and I think it, it, not in all cases, but in most cases. So you have to have some sort of programming, <clears throat> excuse me, programming dedicated to the actual creation of smart contracts or, or kind of like, like processes. And then you have like the overall, yeah. I guess, architecture of, of that. So if I was to, let's say, give advice 
you know, based on our conversation, if somebody says like, hey, hey, Adam, you know, I've watched a few, I've watched your episodes, where do I start? Would like, you know, suggesting like solidity for one, be like a, like a good start for smart contracts and maybe programming languages. What about, you know, what about, uh, you know, C, you know, C++ or what about Python or Golang or any of those? Yeah, yeah, Python may may be one of the easier ones to, to wrap your head around. Um, I think C++, you know, managing your own memory, uh, people are, are slowly moving away from using that, even though it's, right. it's really kind of uh, fundamental when, it, when you look at the history of computer science. But, um, you know, Golang is, is, is a great one. It's a bit higher up on the learning scale, but if you can learn that, it's, it's kind of an a next generation programming language, I would call it. Um, right. And so, yeah, I think starting starting easy just with something like Python to understand the fundamentals, because you know once you learn a, one programming language really well, a lot of them just become easy because it's a, it's a difference between syntax most of the time. Right. I mean, different different programming languages do things differently. Like some handle memory for you, whereas others you have to handle every little thing. Um, and so Python, I think, is a, is a nice, easy language to start with. Uh, and then you can move up to something like a Golang or C++. Um, and then a Solidity is, is once you kind of understand the other programming languages, I think Solidity becomes uh, much easier. But you know, a lot of times, Solidity is going to be one part of your application. You might have a front end, which also uses like JavaScript. JavaScript is probably, I should have mentioned it sooner, but the number one programming language in the world. It's it's kind of it's a bit messy, but it gets the job done. It's such a versatile tool, uh, but it's easy to go wrong. Um, I, I love it, so I'd recommend it for sure. Uh, but but yeah, you'll find you're using a lot of different uh, programming languages in a single project. Uh, right. So just getting good at one will allow you to okay build on top of that. Um, and then I would say something like a Solidity or a GoLang is maybe a tier two on the level of difficulty. Maybe a JavaScript or a Python is it's easier for most people to start with. And by the way, that's a great way of conceptualizing it. And I'm glad you kind of put a tier to it. Uh, people often, you know, like to know, okay, so where is the easiest starting point, you know, among all of these, this giant, let's say, tree, this giant, you know, uh, collection of, of programming languages. And, you know, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, and I'll even have to say this, I do have some experience with Python. It is very, you could almost say, user-friendly if you're coming from an experience that's not programming. If you're really just learning it for the first time, it does kind of, at least with Python anyway, it does feel easier at first glance versus some others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it's very straightforward, you know, the way you write code. It's very structured. Right. It's very structured. You, you can't... Just by writing something wrong, it tells you, hey, something's wrong. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, JavaScript, it's its a forgiving language. So you can do something wrong and it won't complain, um, but you may have introduced a bug, you know. Uh, other languages are a lot more structured and, and um, you know, much harder where you have to manage memory. Once you talk about managing memory, that's like when you start to move up to the next tiers because you actually have to like understand the fundamentals of, of the computers um to to be able to to manage memory right and uh you know moving from that you know if we could talk a little bit about the blockchain oracle summit because i thought that was an incredibly informative event and it's not just one of those kind of events where you know people are purely 
more kind of driven either by passing out business cards or collecting merch or distributing merch. This was a very, very large collection of subject matter experts, developers, and entrepreneurs really explaining and unpacking, you know, some complex subjects in a very, very kind of engaging, you know, present, you know, presentation type of uh, manner. So can you talk about how your team ended up uh, coming to Berlin and, you know, perhaps touch a little bit on uh, your presentation from there too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. Um, you know, all the speakers and, and everybody who was there were really there uh, to learn and to share best yeah. practices and, and their insights. And it was really refreshing um, compared to some, you go to another conference and you think it's going to be great and you realize a lot of people have paid to speak type thing. Right. Um, and, and so it was, it was extremely knowledgeable. Like every, every speaker was a must see. Um, yeah. And the contacts we made there, you know, there's, there's something called an alliance of decentralized oracles that came out of it where you have these oracles are working closely together to create standards um, for, for oracles to help make it easier for people to adopt, to make sure people can use different oracles uh, easily. And so, yeah, it was extremely informative and, and, and highly scientific, but also very uh, great for learning for somebody who's not too familiar with oracles but needs to use them. Um, and so, yeah, and, and we were talking about trust i think that was the main thing is, is trust and recreating trust uh through oracles um and i think i mentioned this earlier on the show but how do you simulate a trustless environment when you introduce an oracle a single point uh where it's managed by a single person right yeah and, yeah so. and that's uh you know that was you know that was a lot to you know unpack and 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 explain and um what was the main point that you wanted people to kind of walk away with from, from your piece during that event? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, um, trustless is a misnomer. It's, it's distributed. Trust is, is the better word. Right. And, and to right. build really secure oracles, fail proof oracles, uh, we need to distribute the trust. We need to make sure that the data sources are diversified as much as possible. Right. And as far as like, um, you know, diversifying, you know, data sources and, and by the way, that's a, that's a good topic to touch on. I think one of the practical realities, <clears throat> excuse me, um, would be not every project is meant for or should be on a blockchain. Maybe some projects would be better off on a cloud or some other alternative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, there, there's a lot of types of applications that simply don't don't really make sense on the blockchain, you know, um, and, and I'm trying to come up with something, but, you know, something, something maybe mission critically, right? Your, your medicine, medicinal equipment, right? You're trying to uh, do an operation operation room. You can't really be using applications on blockchain to, uh, to you know, uh, be saving someone's life or, or keep someone's personal information uh, sure. public, right? There are, there are definitely ways you can encrypt certain things on the blockchain, but um, I think there's definitely a lot of mission critical applications uh, that, that that don't need to be there. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you can also make the argument for you that you can design blockchains in a certain way or private blockchains um, that may overcome some of those. So it's it's really, I think, uh, a case by case or use case basis. Right. And to kind of expand upon some of the more technical aspects of this, could you give an example or examples rather 
what type of projects are good to put on a blockchain? And let's say what kind of projects would be better suited for, let's say, a cloud? Yeah, okay, sure. So I think anything, so one I think really should be on the blockchain maybe is ticketing, right? Um, in, in, in this world, you know, you have all these, uh, when you're trying to buy a ticket for an event, it's, you, can, you can represent that as, as an NFT. Right, right. Um, and then when you sell it, you can you can sell it and and have a resale market. Um, that's not necessarily kind of because right now there's a lot of scams and a lot of people buying fake tickets. Or um, there's also these ticketing agencies that have insanely high markups. Uh, and so having something like this to decentralize, having a, uh, an event organizer can make the most money. Um, from these tickets, because when they sell them, sometimes these tickets get resold for many times sure. their value. If you're, if you own an event, and you can say, "Hey, if you sell this ticket, if you end up reselling it, I'll make a percentage of that." Right? Um, that will really reduce ticket scalping, uh, and then I think that's one area where we're very excited to see uh, things moving in. Got it. Yeah. Answer the, answer yeah, the so, second part. Uh, yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. So. Ideas of something that may not necessarily make sense on a blockchain. Um, I think there's there's a lot of mission critical like infrastructure. You know, um, there's there's these grids, the town grids, for example, that kind of control um, our infrastructure, like electricity and, and things like that. Um, there's a lot of like type of, of, of medicinal per personal information uh, that you don't want on a blockchain, like my health history. I wouldn't necessarily want that on a blockchain. Uh, you could encrypt it, but um, I think there's a lot of sensitivity around personal uh, data that that you might want to have kept secret. Um, you know, there's ways to get around that by encrypting and things like that. Um, but I, I think anything that's kind of mission critical and, and needs significant uptime or, or um, very fast access speeds, you might want to think twice about. Right, and yeah. you know, when it comes to privacy. Do you think that certain private blockchains can maybe get around some of those uh, privacy issues? Like, let's say if there's like a you know designated you know uh, designated validators or you know uh, designated you know permissions, and so to say, does that get around the privacy issues, or are those privacy issues still going to be a problem even in those cases? Yeah, I think I think it's 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 less up to. Uh, validators and, and permission individuals, and maybe more about the level of encryption uh, yeah. and, and the level of knowledge of the common person, right? Um, right. Because if, if you have people who are you know highly knowledgeable about these kinds of things and can keep something like uh, a secret key safe, you know it might be easier than you can encrypt your 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 data or you can share these secret secret keys with uh, or sorry share public keys with the right people and then unlock it as necessary. Um, but I think right now, because the knowledge around how to use public and private keys and, uh, and, and if, even if things were properly encrypted, uh, having average people being able to use these systems, because at the end of the day, you know, the, the weakest link is generally going to be um, right. near you, right? And so if, if all money today was on the blockchain, how many people lose their wallet, right? Um, sure. You lose your wallet with your private key or, or someone steals it. It's no longer yours, and you never you'll never get access to it again. Right. right? Um, and so I think once the knowledge catches up, 
uh, and people are, are, are or there are systems to mimic Web two and, and the real world, uh, or how things are currently done, uh, and fail safes for, for certain people. Um, I think that's when we'll start to see larger adoption. But I think right now, uh, people are still building, people are still trialing, trying new things and way, ways around it. Where um, something as simple as maybe you're, you're, you're losing your keys won't result in you losing the entire history of health record. Got it. And moving on to a related issue. So NFTs and non-fungible tokens. Do NFTs have a lot to offer when it comes to programming and, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, creating, you know, genuine solutions, you know, and I think I think much of the audience is, is well informed. You know, NFTs are not just for making, you know, um, you know, NFT art. There is there's also other practical, you could say, uh, utility like, uh, you know, you could say transaction like functions, so to say. So as a programmer, what do you see as the longevity or the future of of NFTs? Yeah, I, I think NFTs are going to be a huge part uh, of our future when you can start representing you know physical things in the real world on nfts uh, a great example i'll give is, is property there are parts of the world sure. these days where uh property the deed or, or the the deed is is non-existent right you might have a title to a property right. um, but no one believes it it's, it's easily forged sure uh, and, and many times you actually have to rely on eyewitnesses in the community to establish ownership. Yeah, and that could be a whole crazy trial, and it's ex expensive. It's time-consuming. It's yeah. you may not even win. You know. Yeah, win, and people's right. memory are right. Fickle, right. Right. Exactly. Um, and so having an NFT which cannot be manipulated, and if you own it, you own it. Period. It cannot. It simply cannot be forged. Um, I think that's going to be huge. And and think of any kind of th anything that can be represented as such. All right. right. Um, the keys to something, and we were talking earlier about uh, health records and, and giving somebody access to something uh, that you own, which is, can be can be represented in, a, in an NFT. And so I, I have very high hopes. But I say I think it will be huge in the future to represent ownership uh, in in many different ways. Got it. And when it comes to the metaverse, you know that seems to be on on the horizon. We're we're going to kind of. Uh, going to be entering almost like a cyberpunk future where the way we operate and interact in life is going to be largely digital. The way we buy groceries, the way we go to the bank, it's going to be, let's say, you and I with some sort of AR, VR, uh, mixed reality representation, kind of in a parallel world, but not really, doing what we usually do in like uh, everyday life. Uh, when do you think like society is going to be all you know, wired in or hooked in. Yeah, yeah, I I can't wait. I've never sat courtside on a on a real NBA game. You know, I've always been in the bleachers stands, but uh, I I would love to be able to watch the game and be really immersed. Yeah, and and courtside, right? Um, there's 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 just a lot of uh, experiences that we people don't have right now, and and also think about it. You know, um, people want to watch Champions League, but they don't live in Europe, right? Uh, right. there's, there's a lot of experiences people love to have uh, traveling, but they can't go for any reason that you can simulate in, in, in VR. Um, and, and it comes close to the real thing. You can never replace the real thing, but it, it can come close. And so 
Um, I think it's going to be a very interesting um, space. And, and even this conversation that we're having, it would be cooler if you were sitting right here, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and vice versa. That'd be, that'd be pretty insane. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I think eventually, obviously, there's some downsides. There are ways where, you know, people can become a little bit too immersed in, in the virtual world sure. compared to the real world. Um, and I, I definitely think we have to make sure we balance uh, the good with the bad. I mean, uh, the internet was changed the world, right? Um, but of course, there's been a lot of negative from it, but the positive significantly outweighed uh, the negative. So, Absolutely. And uh, on a final note, uh, what does uh, Goracle have in store um, as far as, you know, conferences, summits, projects uh launches and you know anything anything related to that what's uh what's on the what's on the horizon yeah we've been quite working with a lot of our partners using our app developing it testing it iterating on it um, and, and the way it works within this world is generally launched first on, on a test net um, and then people use it and make sure it works great and then they're comfortable with how it goes and we iterate uh before you move to mainnet uh, so you know we're hoping to move to mainnet in a month or two uh, and then we're going to probably be running hackathons by the end of the year where people can use Oracle nice. to build cool applications. Kind of coming full circle, right? Um, and so we're, we're excited about that. Uh, we're, we're excited to attend a couple of Algorand events. Uh, the big one is, is Decipher um, in Algorand. I believe that's in Dubai. Uh, always love being at Bitcoin Miami. It's going to be sometime sure. next year. Um, but yeah, we're, we're always looking for, for events close by as well. So um yeah it's it's gonna be a fun few months coming up good stuff and you know i'm looking forward to hearing you know all the uh all the updates about it you know as time goes on so listen abdul i have to say it was an absolute pleasure having you coming on to the show today yeah. and really unpacking and explaining you know a lot of these different aspects to you know programming because you know as 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 great and as promising uh you know blockchain is you know, understanding, you know, some of these nuances and minutia um, are, are very helpful in, A, you know, kind of clarifying what you're ultimately interested in, but also, B, what's what's coming up in the future? What is our future going to look like? What are, let's say, even live stream episodes like this going to look like in the next five to ten years? And, you know, like you mentioned before, if we're, you know, already hooked and, and the world is, you know, fully immersed in a metaverse, you and I could essentially... Uh, it's be it could almost be like me hanging out with you over there drinking my coffee, um, and yeah. we're just we're just talking back and forth, you know, so yeah, to say. Yeah, so, crazy. yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting things coming up the pike, and you know, better you know better interest and understanding in this space is you know I think very very important to kind of see the writing on the wall. So you know, again, Abdul, you know, thank you very much for coming on. Again, it was great meeting you in Berlin, you know, uh, you know, a few months ago as well and learning about your project. And I thoroughly enjoyed yeah. your, your presentation, you know, uh, there as, as well. So, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing and celebrating your future successes. Uh, Thank, you know, thanks, the Adam. Few months. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, again, uh, I love the, the type of diversity of people that you bring on here and, and definitely Thank excited you. to see you to listen. Um, and yeah. Good luck with, with everything you're working on and looking forward to, to seeing you at another conference or, or event soon. Absolutely good, sir. Yeah, yeah. All right, my friend.
All right. Thank you again and take care. Thank and uh, talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.